This is Rina Deepthi Anabil and this is my podcast, The Sisterhood of Mummy Imperfect. So if you are a regular listener, then welcome back. How you been, sis? And if you're a new listener, then where have you been? Each and every week, I put out a new episode and in those episodes, I delve into different aspects of womanhood and I celebrate those women who in their own way are changing the world one bit at a time. I discuss female-focused news stories with my fierce and fabulous guests and my guest this episode is a woman who's doing her bit to change the world, definitely changing and challenging South Asian stereotypes and especially for women. Natasha Kawaja I hope I'm saying that right, is a LA-based <laughs> is a LA-based actress, blogger, and content creator. And she's known on social media as Purpose and Chai. And she shares her journey of breaking away from her family to pursue her dreams and following her heart with everything really and when it comes to marriage, career, everything. So Natasha is joining me live from LA. Welcome to the Sisterhood of Mummy and Perfect, Natasha. Hi, Rena. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk. Um, I'm so happy to have you. And um, I'm sometimes I'm actually in bed by this time because obviously I didn't realize it was a, it was an eight hour difference. I, so what time is it by you right now? You said eight hours. Yeah. So it's uh, it's gone past nine thirty, and I mean it's okay. it's nine thirty p.m. is is not like oh my god we have to be in bed, but I have to pretend to like I lie down next to one of my kids who's six to put her to sleep, and so put you know like sleep. when you're at, yeah, and then I kind of accidentally go to sleep myself sometimes, so um it's a miracle that I'm not asleep, but I'm I'm awake, I'm good, and I'm happy to have you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to chat. I'm usually asleep by now. 9 30 p.m my time too and I don't have kids so I don't know what my excuse is um, but I'm usually in bed by that time <laughs> that makes me feel better that makes me feel a lot better actually that you know we need that sleep look I'm I'm in my I'm about to hit my mid-30s I need my sleep <laughs> yeah yeah okay good that makes me feel better okay so, so you're younger than me and you go to sleep early as well so cool cool um so okay just tell me a little bit about your blog purpose and chai and your social media um, channel so why did you start it all what was the reason behind it so um I was in LA pursuing an acting career I'd been here for almost a decade and um social media came around and I kept resisting I was like no I I don't want to be a part of this social media thing I'm just going to keep going auditions and pursuing my acting thing and I wanted to be an actress um, because I loved it, but also because I didn't see any women that looked like us on the screens and I wanted to help break down barriers. But when social media came around, it was actually my husband who said, you know, I feel like you have a lot to say. I really think that you should start a blog and I think you should just start sharing your experiences online because you never know who you could reach. And so I started just being open and authentic and talking about, you know, my experiences as a first-gen Pakistani-American, the things that I'd experienced. And before you knew it, you were getting all these messages and these people reaching out saying, this is literally what I'm going through. And it was, it was really to start building community. I thought it was so important that more of us get out there and be less afraid to talk about things that were otherwise swept under the rug for so long. And so really it was about I wanted to bring people together and just let other people know that they're not alone mm-hmm. on their journey. And when you say not alone, like, you know, 
you're from Pakistani uh, Pakistani family. I'm from an Indian family. We are very mm-hmm. like close knit, and you know everybody's right. kind of in each other's lives. And you know normally there are big families and stuff, but then it's like you you actually had to break away from that, didn't you? Which I guess can make you feel very alone. Like, what happened with that? So it did. You know, when I first said that I wanted to be an actress, it was met with a lot of opposition. And I understand why. I'm 34 now. At first, you think that they just want to say no. But, you know, there's a lot of pitfalls. There's a lot of dangers of trying to pursue a career in the entertainment industry, as a lot of stories have come out now over the last few years. Mm -hmm. And so um, the only support that I really had was uh, the support of my older brother. And he was very adamant on you know, I'm going to help you make your dreams come true. And he's actually, he was a big part of why I even ended up in LA. We, we worked these jobs together and we saved up money and he put me in a car and he said, go make your dreams come true. So even around the time when, you know, talks of marriage and arranged marriages and rishtas were like being brought to me, my older brother was like, no, like you're going to go pursue your dreams. And um, that was really the only support system that I had at first. And so I, I get out to LA and it was a few years. And, you know, unfortunately, my older brother is no longer in my life. But it was so just it made all the difference for me as a brown girl to have somebody step up and be like, I believe in you. I got you. You know, I have your back and you're going to go do this when everybody was like, you're not doing this. Like where we come from, that's not what our women do. That was a lot of what I heard at first. Is your family quite traditional? Yeah, so I come from a Pakistani Muslim family. And, you know, there's a good balance. Like we've been in, a, they've, my parents have been in, in between America and Canada for about, I want to say almost 30 years now. And, you know, my mom and dad both work, you know, we were allowed to be friends with everybody and everybody would come over and, you know, that. But at the end of the day, we had very strong traditional core values and beliefs that we were all raised to, you know, that this was the expectation, that this is what they wanted from us as we got older. And it's that thing as well, like, oh, we came here to make a better life. So you're going to be something professional. You're going to be a doctor or an accountant or something to make it all worthwhile. And and obviously that is a lot of pressure, isn't it? Oh, my gosh. And, you know, not to downplay, but I wasn't the most studious person. Like, I don't think I would have been a doctor or a lawyer. You know, they thought just because I was good at debating and arguing my points, maybe I should become a lawyer. But it really wasn't a path for me. I think I was always into, I was always a creative, you know, I was always into yeah. also, I loved literature classes and English classes and reading. And then when we were studying Shakespeare, that was always my passion. So, but I did have a corporate job that would have helped me climb the corporate ladder. And I quit that to leave to pursue my acting dreams and move to LA. So my, you can imagine my parents weren't too happy about that at first. Yeah, well, number one, it's like, you're doing something which they're like we don't understand the point of maybe right you know it's it's right. not a stable like oh bitter you know accountancy my dad said to me be an accountant it's nice and stable and then I thought myself oh I should be one because it is stable when I went into that world I was like I can't do this because I'm a creative but anyway so you you chose that and then you, you're moving away as well yeah which is a massive thing because yeah, it's, it's supposed to be like and you you're not married you know yeah so there's like the shame comes with that because you're moving out and then they're concerned with when people are going to ask well where's your daughter like what is she doing you know and I was moving at the time my family lived in Toronto Canada and I was moving to Los Angeles um and when I first moved my younger brother moved with me but about a year later he moved back so it was always like well when are she when are you coming home like come home you tried it didn't work out 
And I was so adamant, Rena, like I was not going to give up. Like, and I'm still to this day, you know, it is a hard career to break into. Mm. It's not easy. They were right about a lot of things. There's a lot of instability. There's been, you know, incidents where I go into audition and people have tried to prey on you or try to make inappropriate passes at you, you know, and you dodge so many bullets. And I still have what I'm most proud of. I still have my self-respect. I have my dignity, but I refuse to give up. I'm not going to give up because this is what I love to do. You know, this is what I feel that I was put here to do. Yeah. Well, that's something which is like, it, it makes your soul feel alive to do it, right? So you can't stop doing yeah. it. Yeah. Mm, no, I totally get that. But but that is, that's quite difficult to kind of be so far from your family as well and it's like and I know how you know like I'm from an Indian family and we are like although you know they're modern in some ways and they also came to the UK like more than 30 years ago whatever but it's like you still have those kind of uh close-knit traditional values which is nice also but then it's like it kind of backfires if you want to do something different and go on your own path yeah absolutely and it was hard I mean I had um there was like layers, right? And there was like so many varied parts of the journey. Of course, I missed them. I didn't know anybody. I was in this foreign city. You know, you're trying to do this, pursue this big dream. And then this is like, I came here in 2010. So you didn't see brown people on the screen like that. You just did not see representation. So you're like going into audition rooms and you're one of the only people of color in the room. And they're looking at you funny, you know, because they don't know what to do with you. And then everyone's like, already there's all these barriers stacked against you. And then I don't know anybody in LA, I'm by myself. And so of course I miss them. But then as I grew, there was also the realization of beginning what I like to call my brown girl healing journey. And then, you know, there was also dysfunction and toxicity that I was growing and learning to shift away from and breaking generational traumas that I didn't even realize when I first set out to pursue all of this stuff. I had no idea. Mm. Uh, Um, I mean, in a way, like I have a, um, a, I can see some similarities between my story and yours in that um, I did move to work. I moved like from the Midlands in the UK to London. And um, for that, for us, that's far because obviously this is a tiny country, right? (laughs) Yes, yes. But anyway, but then the whole thing of like, I'm moving out of home, not for uni, but to work. And, um, you know, I went to work in the media and like, I went to work at the BBC and moved to London. And it's like even those things of like, you know, I was living somewhere which I couldn't afford, really. And I did I shouldn't have actually been living there and paying that stupid amount of money for rent ended up getting into debt. But it's such a learning experience to do all that because we just never have done it. You're nodding like you My can God. relate. <laughs> I'm nodding like crazy because it's so true. Um. LA is one of the most expensive cities to live in, in the world. And I was, you know, being raised Pakistani Muslim, I had my own place. I've always had my own place. I had roommates for like maybe six months when I first got out here. And then after that, I was adamant on doing whatever it is I needed to do to maintain my place. Cause I didn't want to live with anybody. Like I was like, I'm not, I don't drink. I'm not doing any of this. Like I don't want to live with somebody and have to deal with like certain yeah. habits. And I, you don't know who you can trust. And, you know, it's like I said, it's LA. So everybody's here to pursue something and you just don't know personality clashes. So at one point I was working three jobs just to be able to afford my rent. And I was exhausted. And you do look back and you think, shoot, maybe I should have like 
tweak some things. And I wasn't the most financially savvy person at the time. I didn't have the knowledge that I necessarily do at 34 in my 20s. And it was like, you were like, it felt like you just throwing away money. And I can't even tell you the amount of times there was eviction notices placed on my door. But I was like, I'm not giving up. Like, I'm not going home. I'm going to do whatever I need to do. You know, it was me and my dog at one point, And I was like doing what I needed to do, get his dog food and make sure I had enough money to eat for myself. And it was tiring, Rena. Like it was exhausting after a few years. Yeah, I know. I've been there. I mean, so I, yeah. I ended up staying in London um, for mm-hmm. Korea, but also because I met my husband. And so did the same thing happen with you? I did meet my husband, but I didn't meet him until 2016. So I had already been here for about six years by the time I met him. Um, and then I met him literally as I was coming out of another like relationship situation. I was coming out a few weeks later, I met my husband. So it was <laughs> so funny that you say that too, because I was actually thinking, so at the time I was working at, you guys have Domino's Pizza yeah. in London? Yeah. We yeah. Do. So I was working at, I was working at Domino's Pizza um I was a delivery driver and I was just thinking the other day I remember applying for that job I sat at a Starbucks I was at my wits end financially like I was dead broke and I was like I'm just gonna apply you know I'll go be a driver at Domino's and do other things not thinking that five years later at that same job I would meet my husband which is where we met because he was working there too and it was just it's funny how life works I, I gotta say yeah, so your eyes met over the mozzarella cheese or whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny, Rena. I was vegan at the time, so I didn't even eat any of the pizza at work. So it was just like so much going on. <laughs> and did not have vegan. Now everyone's on the vegan thing, right? Nobody was on right. the vegan thing then. I'm guessing. No, I was <laughs> vegan for a few years, but I'm not anymore. But yeah, I wasn't eating the. I wasn't getting to enjoy the pizza at the oh, time. <laughs> <man>. <laughs> so, so okay, you're leading this life. In, yeah. in in LA and you know you meet your husband who's obviously you know he was he's black he's not obviously yes. you know your parents would have wanted you to marry a Pakistani and yeah what were you leading some kind of double life here oh my gosh yeah so then we began so to be honest like Sam my husband it was like my first serious serious relationship like first of all you grow up they so you don't really know how to date you're awkward you go through these phases nobody tells you what that's like so this was like my first serious relationship where this I meet this guy, he's courting me, you know, we're getting to know each other, we're having serious conversations. And then it's getting serious over time. And I'm living this double life. So while my family's calling me, I'm quickly hanging up the phone, or I'm not being honest about I'm here with him, or I'm doing this. And then that eventually started to take a toll on me as well. It's really hard, isn't it? Like, um, because I, I get it, like, you know, with, with me, because I knew as well that my parents want me to marry this type of a person. And race mm-hmm. is obviously, you know, let's be honest, like, you know, South Asian people are, can be quite racist. And, mm-hmm. you know, we know what they think of people who are not from the community, A, not from the community and religion. And then also, like, you know, if it's a black person, it's worse in their eyes than a white person I don't, that's what so it was I have for my to be honest no that wasn't the case it and I get it me. though because that is a lot of the case yeah. but it wasn't with our like it was never that I never was it like, religion? I, I always like to be honest no if he'd been white it would have been the same thing and that's the that's the honest to god truth my parents were like they wanted me to marry somebody Pakistani like that mm. was important 
and they wanted me to marry somebody Muslim. That was important. So, and that was drilled in us from when we were kids. Like that was like repeated. So did you think at um, any point, oh, I need to stop this or like, okay, you know, this is not going to go down well. No, you know why, Rena? Because at that point I had sacrificed a lot for my family and just people in general, because we were raised as brown women to make those sacrifices. Mm. And that was, I was at a point in my life, I was like, I'm not letting this go. This, I'm going to keep this for me. This is, I met like this amazing person, all of like our big uh, morals and values align, our life goals aligned. So there was never a thought that I'm not going to pursue this relationship because they don't agree with it. And you know, and it's hard to find somebody like that in this world because there's a lot of people still searching. You can't let that go. No, Rena, that's the crazy thing. I have a lot of younger followers and when they share some of their dating stories or they post things, I'm so far removed from it that I go, oh my gosh, I'm glad that I'm not single out there having to deal with some of the stuff that they even share with me. A lot of girls that like consider, I consider to be like sisters online mm-hmm. and I go, wow. And I just count my blessings because you're right. It's hard to find genuine, honest people who are also going to understand the differences between you and them and that the baggage that I was essentially bringing, mm-hmm. but still find a way to be respectful of you, your family, your culture, and make it work in your in your situation in your relationship so did did your family come to the wedding no nobody came to the wedding we got married in 2020 in covid and we got married in our apartment it was just us literally him and me and our dog so nobody nobody came to the wedding and nobody was uh yeah they weren't really supportive of it but at that point i had stopped having a relationship with certain people in my family so I throwing it out there. I'm getting married. I'm just want to let you guys know, you know, so it is what it is. And they didn't do any of the thing that sometimes South Asian parents do like, oh, well, you know, I'm just I'm really old now. And this could be really bad for my health if you do this. Oh, they did. Oh, they did. <laughs> when I called and told them originally about about Sam, they, that was the first thing, you know, why can't you wait until we're dead? The whole dramatics and the theatrics and you know, why would you do this? We didn't expect this from you, you know, all of that. Um, And that was, that was even before we got engaged that I made that call because I didn't want to live that double life anymore. I wanted to be very honest and I wanted to live in my truth. I got sick of preaching certain things online and feeling like I'm a grown woman. I pay my own bills, but I'm having to kind of hide parts of me. It just didn't feel it didn't feel genuine to me anymore. Mm. So I made that call long before we even got engaged. Yeah, no, I, I respect that. And do you know what, Natasha? It's so funny because like um, this whole thing of um, kind of promoting something else and being something else, it's, it's actually so common because um, ages ago, like I was part of this um, radio documentary. I was kind of talked into doing this radio documentary um, about um, like black and Asian people you know, how it's such a taboo and, oh, mm-hmm. look at this couple, you know, they've got married or I think we were about to get married or something at that point. And then like, oh, you know, can you believe in this documentary? My husband, he's a very private person and he didn't really want to be. But then I was like, oh, come on, let's do it. And it'll be nice if other people are in the situation. So we we were part of this radio documentary. And the woman, the journalist who was actually making it, she herself was actually in a relationship with an African guy. She was Indian and she was in a relationship with an African guy. And she, I think she was living with him. Yes, yeah, she was living with him and she was hiding it 
from her parents and she was older than me like she was like 38 and at that time I thought 38 was like ancient because I was like 20 something so I was like what I was like oh my god you're like a big woman like and you're you've wanted to expose me and talk about me in this documentary and you yourself like you know your dad comes over you hide all your boyfriend stuff that's and it's crazy it's so unfortunate honestly Lena. i the type of messages that i still get they don't they're not just from younger women i get messages from older women too who are in that exact same situation and it's really unfortunate and it breaks my heart that we but I understand the part where it's so hard to break free of that mindset that a lot of us have been conditioned to live in and we live in fear and we are afraid of losing our family. I, I was having this conversation with a friend recently because spoiler alert, but I recently did reconnect with certain members of my family. They've accepted my husband now. It was, you know, a little bit of a journey, but I was talking to a really good friend of mine and I was just telling her, you just... <laughs> We can never say there's no right or wrong. I literally can understand if a girl is afraid and she can't. And I also understand the ones who are like, I pick my love over family. I, I just have compassion and understanding because we've all been there in some capacity, right? Where we were all raised to think it's wrong. We're somehow disrespecting family or culture. And, and, and look at what such... they've done for us and all this, you know, they've done so much for yeah. us, which they have, which they have. Yeah. Right. And you're carrying that and you just don't know what to believe. You don't know how to get. And I often do credit going back to what you and I were originally talking about. If it hadn't been for my older brother who'd given me so much support in the early stages of my life, I do believe I'd still be who I am. But I think it helped to have somebody in my corner. And when I think about some of these women who have nobody, it's I honestly do like my heart breaks for them. It does. The only difference, too, though, nowadays with growing up today versus before there's the internet, there's social media, right? They can find people, they can find communities. It wasn't like that when, when I was younger, there was nowhere to turn to, there was no blueprint mm. to necessarily follow. But that, that is, my eyes were bugging out when you said that, because I just don't think it's right to want to expose somebody else's truth and then not be able to walk sincerely in your own. But Rena, I live in LA. You can imagine I see stuff like that all the time. <laughs> is it a bit of a crazy place LA I've, I've never been I've been yeah. to um New York New Jersey and that was a, like the first time that I went to America was 2018 um and it is like I don't know about LA but I don't know I find it a bit of a bizarre place on the whole you know what it's a beautiful place if we're just basing it off of that um I often tell people you know you have to pick and choose who you're going to be around wisely that would be if we lived anywhere right yeah but, you know, like I said, having to try to break into the industry and even in times when you try to network with other people who say that they're all for brown empowerment and then they're actually not, you know, things like that. There's a lot of like, you know, it's like you're in high school sometimes all over again. But I feel like even the world of social media can be like that where there's popularity and there's clicks and things as such. And I've never been one to subscribe to that. And I'm not going to start at 34. So, you know, there's a lot of that. <laughs> But, you know, one thing that you said is that, like, when you were going through everything in your 20s and whatever, like, uh, you know, doing something, uh, a profession, which maybe people in your family hadn't done and they were discouraging you and you wanted to do it. And there wasn't anybody that you could reach out to. To It was just something that you wanted to do. Right. You know, and, mm -hmm. and now, like, 
you're one of those people, obviously, because people are reaching out to you and talking to you about things that they're going through. You couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. Even this whole thing of like marrying somebody, like if you're a South Asian, marrying somebody who was out of your race was like a really big deal. I didn't at the time that I didn't know anybody who I didn't know any other Indian girls who were married to a black guy. I didn't know anyone. I actually didn't. I know knew people that were maybe did I know? I don't know. Or rumors like, oh, she ran away with a black guy, that kind of thing, right? So I didn't. Right. So it was, you know, like I had to. It's just you've got to do what feels right to you, and there wasn't anybody else to reach out to. But people, no, are- there was nobody. There was no blueprint. You know, I think the thing that made it a little bit easier for me is that because I grew up like we moved a lot when I was younger. So we lived in Chicago at one point. We lived in Texas. Then we lived in Toronto. So I was exposed to so many different beautiful cultures and people from all walks of life. And I didn't, I was very basey. I was very involved in my culture. I loved being Pakistani, like it was a part of me, but it wasn't enough to make me feel confused about being in this relationship, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like I grew up around so many different types of people that I was comfortable enough to, to know like, hey, there's no confusion in this. I love this person. He loves me. I am like, I speak English at the end of the day, right? Like we are, we have a similarities of being American. We have that in common. And so it was a little bit of a help in that way that I'd been brought up to be around all different types of cultures. We were never just like, oh, you can only be around they see people. So that was never the case. And so I think that really served me well and was such a positive in my life later so that there was an extra confusion around being disowned, not knowing where to turn to, not having blueprints around that whole, you know, interracial relationship. Yeah, I think I was brought up um, mainly around Desi people, to be honest. And, you mm-hmm. know, even like my 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 dad still now, like he's very involved in the local community, like the Asian community and always was. And so like you know growing up it was always like you know, performing like in like cultural programs and this and that so that my whole life was that so and that hasn't changed and it never was going to change you know like yourself as well you have a strong identity um right. but it, i don't know it it like for you though that whole thing of like okay i'm i'm if if i if i marry this person then i'm going to have to give up my family and that's actually that seems like a very hard thing to do to because then the person that you're marrying you know it's like they are everything did it feel that way to you that it's like okay he's going to be everything or it's my family he did become everything and I had to be very cognizant of doing so in a healthy way which is where I'm very vocal about the fact that I've been in therapy for a few years because I, I didn't want to burden my husband with everything that other people may have done or were their responsibilities or were the roles that they played, whether good or bad. Um, And so that was very important for me to be in therapy before we got married. I'm still in therapy. We've done couples therapy Mm -hmm. because I just didn't, I knew it was wrong to put all of that on him, even in a way of, well, you're my, now you have to take on the role of mother, father, sibling. I I didn't want to do that to him. And we're only human, right? So, like, you know, like, even in arguments or something like that, you know, it could come out of, I gave everything for you, you know. (laughs) I gave up my family for you. 
Right. And I'm pretty sure it, it probably did come out. And then, you know, we, then when it calm, we calm down, it's like, well, I never asked you to do that. That was a decision you made, you know, and they weren't right to expect you to choose anyways. So let's not even get into the dynamics of that. And let's keep the main, the, we have a therapist who always says, keep the main thing, the main thing, because we'll drift when we have differences. And it's like, no, 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 we got to focus on the thing right here, right now. So um, I think, I think also what helped, I'm such an introvert and I'm so self-sufficient because I was living alone for so many years, like before meeting him and having to be a brown girl that's like fending for yourself. It just kind of made me even more like independent. <laughs> so even little things like I was telling someone recently, like I would take myself out on dates even after we got married. He's like, "Where you, you don't have to do this. I can do this for you. And I was like, no, I appreciate that. But I like to do things for myself. So there was like this big concoction of all these layers that made me who I was that were good and not so good in our relationship that we've been working through. Mm. I, I've, I think it's awesome the fact that, you know, you, you, you've been in therapy and you kind of address those those things in therapy because it is like, I, I honestly have thought sometimes that if it was, if, my, if I thought that my family were going to say, you know what, you're disowned essentially, which is what it is, right? You're disowned because you're marrying somebody out of the race and that's it, we're not going to speak to you. I don't know how I would have coped with that. And then I, for sure, I know that, like I just said, I know it would have come out at some point, like, oh my gosh, you know, I've given up everything for you. And it's a lot, isn't it? Which is which is why I think it's good that you've addressed that. Do you, yeah, it can be overwhelming. Yeah, yeah, for yeah sure. exactly. Um, do you, do you kind of, you know, like, is it weird? Like things like, you know, like certain things where you would celebrate with your family and cultural stuff that you're used to doing, like maybe it's Eid and you're, um, in your case and right. you know Diwali for me and then y y it's kind of like just you and your husband and you know you don't have that whole family set up and you've got to kind of make your own style of celebration like how how does that all go yeah so at first I'll be honest like I didn't do anything for my side of the tradition because when I was first disowned I was having to go on this new journey now of trying to rediscover what it meant for me to be Pakistani, because at the time of being disowned, you know, uh, a family member had said to me, forget your culture, forget everything that you ever taught, you're no longer these things. And it was hard at first, but like, it was really tough. So for a while, I didn't celebrate anything. I was just kind of like cruising through life. It would bring up feelings because you get online and everybody's like posting these beautiful pictures and family traditions and things. And, you know, it would bring up emotions for me. I feel them and I let them go. And then, you know, my husband, uh, he grew up celebrating Christmas, but he wanted to do things his way, the way that maybe his family didn't do them. So one day he said, hey, let's do our own traditions. Let's start doing stuff, you know. And I was at first I was a little hesitant because I was like, I don't want to celebrate Christmas. Like, I'm Pakistani. Like, you do not celebrate Christmas. But then when he broke it down for me and he said, hey, let's we're going to do this for us. Let's go together. Let's go buy a tree. Let's go get decorations. Let's do all of this together. We're going to sit there and drink hot chocolate and play, you know, Charlie Brown Christmas music. I was like, oh, you know what? This is so much deeper than what you think it is. This is about finding new ways to make you feel good and the people that you love. This is something you can do together. So then we started doing that. And then, you know, he would, he kept saying to me from day one, he's like, let's do something for like, you know, the holy month and let's do something for Eid. And I was like, I just don't know. 
and then eventually we started to you know i learned how to make savanya like the kheer dish yeah. that was always made on eve in our home and you know he's like oh you know put on a shalar for me he's like i let's do something and then you know started to sing eve mubarak and we would just do little things he's like let's go eat some pakistani food and so that just became a new norm for us we were like hey we can make this what we want that's the beautiful part of being an adult now we're no longer being told how to do this we get to create it for us and we we get to redefine what love family and tradition can be for when we have kids yeah and i think like this whole thing of like when you have kids i i think for me that's when it became even more important to do those things and do traditions in your own way because like I want them to know stuff yeah. because it's like you know I probably wouldn't have been bothered to do those kind of things no we had we did do our own kind of Diwali and it's, and, and even I, I wasn't disowned but if you know we were in London and my family were in the Midlands and it was too far to go on Diwali for example and you know the area that I lived in there weren't a lot of people celebrating Diwali so it was just kind of like oh you know why don't we do something or we go to like a restaurant or whatever or do like like divas at home or something like that right and then I think um Mm -hmm. with uh with the kids I wanted to make more of an effort that you know let's celebrate and this is part of you as well and um yeah I I want them to learn and enjoy it as well um so so yeah whether it's with my family that we do or just us as a little family um yeah I, I I think it's nice to make your own traditions definitely yeah, I think that's beautiful because you want the kids to have something to be, you know, joyful about and to look forward to. And then, like you said, also find ways to celebrate their the different parts that make them who they are, you know, that come from their mom and dad. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you said before that you are now in touch with your family again. So how did that yeah, come recently. about? And is, is it kind of you trying to make that happen? No, I'm going to be honest with you. I would have probably never reached out uh, because I had already tried and it didn't go so well. So I was at a point in my life where I was like, I'm going to let people be who they are and accept them for who they are. Mm-hmm. So um, I would, I think a lot of praise should go to my father because he was always constant in my life. He, he was never not in my life through all of this. And so he was very adamant and patient on bringing others around to accept me accept my choices accept my husband as well and so um just in the last few months I reconnected with my mom and um it was surprising because it was not expected um it was interesting because then I had to learn how to go about this healing journey now in a new way because I was already healing from the disownment and now she's you know back in my life so it was about setting up new boundaries and being aware of who I am and where I am in my life and what works for me, but also, you know, being protective of my husband and what we've built because that's my family, right? Through all of it, yes, blood is important, but I'm married now. We have our own life that we've created. And so we have to respect what him and I are doing over here to heal from past things. So that's kind of where we are now. And, um, once again, I think what's important is accepting people for who they are. I never, because of therapy, I don't expect people to be anything other than who they've already shown me to be. And I think that that is like a life changing thing <laughs> once we get to that part. Mm. Um, have they met your husband? Yeah, uh, they've met him twice now. So they came to visit and 
it was really nice and um, everybody, you know, was very loving and kind. And, um, you know, there's now like, you know, they'll ask about him. They'll be like, you know, high and by kind of conversations and such. So that's kind of where we are now. But that's, that's progress, right? Right. And I never expected it. And I think what I always try to tell everybody, because I shared a little bit of it online as much as I could, you yeah. know, while respecting everybody still that's, you know, in the situation. But I was very clear in saying that had this never come around, I need everybody to understand we were still going to be okay. Because there's so many out there who think that life ends after being disowned or that we could never be happy again or somehow we have to be miserable forever. But I wanted to make it very clear that had they never come around, I was still going to find joy in my life and I was still going to walk in purpose. And my husband and I were still going to build a healthy family, no matter what happened from the outside. Do you feel like therapy has helped you with this? The, the whole emotions oh gosh, of yeah. being disowned and then seeing them again and all the emotions that came up? Oh, yeah, it's it's helped tremendously. And I think also being with somebody, I picked a partner who my husband is very optimistic. Like if you meet him, he's, he always sees the glass half full. And so he's always living in the moment. And I think being around somebody like that inspired me to detach from a lot of the sadness that came from my past and a lot of the things that had happened and coupled that with therapy. It's just been it's been hard, Rena, I'll be honest, like, it's not easy. But I'm so grateful for these things, these tools, these beautiful tools that have been given to me that I've, you know, taken and I've said, okay, let me see how I can use you to live a little bit of a more peaceful life. Mm. And do you do you what what do you think is going to happen now? Like, how how is it? You know, like, do you feel like you're, you're in each other's lives again, you and your family, and it's going to be more of each more of that? Or are you kind of like, you know what, I'm happy with a bit of distance? So we talk, I talk to my mom quite a bit, you know, it'll just be like small talk, you know how it is with like Daisy moms, you know, just catching you up on everybody else's stuff and, you know, things like that. We talk quite a bit. Um, we don't live in the same state. So there's that distance. Um I think that boundaries are important. I think I've learned that the hard way, unfortunately, because they don't teach you boundaries in Daisy homes because there's no such thing. Um, but I've learned that they're very important. And I believe that it's important to, um, to have space too. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I'm not saying like, I don't want to see you or I don't want to be around you, but it's important to know that, Hey, you guys are not the same exact people anymore. We're all adults too. And it's good. And it's okay to not be in each other's faces all the time. You know what I mean? Like we don't have to communicate 24 seven. We don't have to live in the same place. We don't have to live in the same house or anything like that. And I think that, that like I said, I learned that the hard way. And even my husband, he was just saying this morning, he goes, boundaries are important. He's like, it's good. Like it's good where things are and we don't want to ruin it. So let's just keep going with having boundaries in place. Mm. Yeah, the boundary thing always makes me smile because like, I actually thought it was normal for uh, a family to open each other's mail. I seriously thought that was actually normal. And it's yeah. and it's only when yeah. I was a full grown adult that I was like, oh, do, do your family not open each other's bank statements? Like, what? I thought that was normal. 
<laughs> normal. We used to, we all knew each other's pins when we all lived together. Like we knew each other's pins to our debit cards. And I was like, is that not normal? These are things. So those are things when I got into the relationship with Sam, he's like, why? Like he would point out things and I'd be like, what's wrong with X, Y, and Z? And like, he'd have to tell me, he's like, we don't, we don't need to be in X, Y, and Z's business all the time. And then I was like, oh, so that was something else I had to learn. <laughs> yeah. and like, have there been like um, culture clashes with you guys? Like, you know, like just weird stuff, which is like, because obviously you're Pakistani and you, you know, grew up in that culture and he's African-American. Has there been stuff like that? Where he's like, what the hell are you doing? I think probably, yeah, definitely more from him. Cause I, I grew up with a lot of uh, African-American friends and stuff. So I think more for him, cause you know, there's, like the oversharing thing that we just mentioned, um, the lack of boundaries, the kind of being in each other's business and all that, you know, there's that, that kind of shocked him. And um, what else? I guess we think with the food too. I still, I tease him. He eats like, he'll eat chama and he'll put it inside naan. And I'm like, please don't do that. Like that's not how you're supposed to have, <laughs> you know, so things like that or, even like he gets shocked like he's like you really just eat raw onions i'm like i'm pakistani that's what we do we eat onions With and everything. chilies and all that <laughs> so things as such um and then i'm trying to think there's there's definitely been more than that you know so i'll put on bollywood movies like i love to watch movies that i grew up watching and he'll come in he's like why is everything always so sad why is everything so traumatic in these movies you know and i was like that's just how we are we're we're very animated people <laughs> we literally are like the the films aren't even a lie because people are literally like shouting and crying and you know in general life so it is it's got yeah <laughs> my husband you know, like, uh, i was watching what were you gonna say right now no no go, go, carry on i was gonna say i was just watching um gabi alvida nakana the other day and i that was one of my favorites growing up so i was watching it for like the million times and like this is a scene where Amita Bachchan is like dying and I'm like and he comes in and he just starts laughing he's like I can't I can't do this and he had to like get up and walk out he's like not sexy Sam dying I was like get out please <laughs> sexy Sam yeah oh god that character was so funny um no I was gonna say like this whole the you know the cultural thing is like I still find it like really bizarre that my husband doesn't he doesn't really get chutney you know like we have to have chutneys and achars and everything <laughs> you know like south asian people are obsessed with condiments we're obsessed with condiments aren't we yeah like either achar yeah. or you have like raita or some kind of imli chutney raita, yeah. he, he doesn't like he'll just he have a samosa that. just like that and i'll be like it's, right it's so funny because sam actually noticed that he goes so you guys like food that is like really wet he's like you need to have like some type of gravy or something going on and he goes and i noticed that like they see people he's like the food has to be flavorful and i said well you're in luck so you don't ever have to worry about me cooking food that is like tasteless or flavorless i'm gonna season the heck out of our food so you yeah. never have to worry about that <laughs> exactly exactly um it's funny though like certain things because i've been together with my husband for 20 years and that there's certain things which you kind of are i just no he he probably thinks I'm normal now but like you know he went to the um I was laughing at him because um he went to the supermarket 
and you know like the reusable bags the the cloth ones he took yeah. one and it said um <laughs> it had this punjabi radio station name on it and it actually had like writing in punjabi and it's like you know like he wouldn't even think oh why is this why am i carrying a bag that's got punjabi writing all over it's just the bag in the house you know <laughs> <laughs> right they just become accustomed to it sam like he he had naan for breakfast i wasn't even eating naan for breakfast he comes around the quarter he's like Am I, is that they see enough? Like I was eating naan. I was like, why are you eating? Why are you just eating naan by itself? Like you don't even have it with, he has like a, a strawberry smoothie in one hand. And like, and a naan, like it's toast. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's a piece of toast. Oh, <laughs> you know what? It's really good to speak to you. And it's like, you know, yeah, these kind of things are quite funny. And, and I just want to say thank you for just, you know, sharing what you do share. And I know it's hard because, you know, we're talking about things that are really sensitive and just nobody likes to be like, oh, I was disowned, you know, it's a big deal. It's like a really emotional thing, but to kind of share that journey as much as you can is nice. And I, th- I think it has helped a lot of people. Um, a lot of your things are really funny as well. Like um, there's a lot of comedy reels that you do as well. <laughs> I, Rena, my, my older brother and I used to joke that we handle trauma with like humor. We're like those people. <laughs> we were like, we might as well laugh about it. <laughs> so we have like really dark humors and stuff. So we try to, I try to show that a little bit more on social, but I really appreciate your platform and you allowing me to come on and discuss this stuff with you. Cause I do think, um, I think we've all come such a long way as Brown women where there's less fear, but I know, I know we still have a long way to go. So I'm, I'm grateful for you and for what you're doing here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and uh, can you just let people know where they can follow you on social media and see your content, your reels and all that? Yeah, so I'm at Purpose, P-U-R-P-O-S-E and A-N-D Chai. And that's across the board. So you guys can check us out on YouTube. My husband and I have a podcast where we're very candid about a lot of things that Rena and I talked about. Um, also on TikTok, uh, Instagram, and then the website is purposeandjai.com. Lovely. Thank you so much, Natasha. And um, I hope that we'll stay in touch. It's been lovely talking to you. Um, and thank you. you. Too, thank you for everyone who's tuned in. Thank you for listening. Make sure you follow me too at Sisterhood on Mommy Imperfect on social media or at Rena D. Annabelle. Until next week. Bye. Mm-hmm.